You may retire when you're 60 years old and you may live until 95. That's 35 years your portfolio has got to spit out an income. If you get too conservative too quickly, then uh, that can be detrimental to your portfolio as well. Welcome to the Perfect Game Retirement Podcast with former professional baseball player and now financial coach at Black Oak Asset Management, Ryan Ledman. This show will help you make the right financial decisions so you can pitch a perfect game in retirement. Here's the wind-up and the delivery. Glad to have you back on Perfect Game Retirement. I'm Ben George. He's Ryan Ledden, President and Financial Coach over at Black Oak Asset Management. Today, we're going to put Ryan to the test. we got a little financial fact or fiction. I'm going to throw out five different, I guess, ideas or maybe common beliefs that people have. And we're going to find out whether or not they are true or false. And Ryan's going to break them down for us. You ready for that, Ryan? Let's do it. Were you a test guy back in school? You've taught some, so you're comfortable in the classroom, but... Yeah, feel I feel like testing? I'm. I feel like I'm pretty good. Uh, I, I'm taking coursework right now for my CFP, and That's I've, true. Done, I've done pretty well for that. I, I would not say I am a like high intellect guy, meaning like I have to I have to work at it. Like I have to really yeah. study, and and which I'm fine with doing, but I can't just not study and then just sit down for a test and think. I got this. I, I have to prepare a lot. Yeah, no, that's a good thing. And and as you work for that CFP, this is perfect. Like you're already in that mindset, so it's going to work out pretty well. But if you haven't joined us before, we put all of our episodes up online at blackoakam.com. That's where also you'll find Ryan and his team over at Black Oak. You can schedule your Retirement Coach 360 session online there. Uh, also information on seminars, workshops, and a lot more. Also webinars up there as well now. So plenty to find up on blackoakam.com. So check it out once we get done with today's show. So today we're going to run through, again, five different uh, things that people often believe, and we're going to find out whether or not they're fact or fiction. And hopefully this will maybe open your eyes to a couple of things in financial planning that you didn't know about, or maybe you were thinking was one way and it's actually the other. So let's kick it off with this one, Ryan. You, you are tapped into social security. So how about this? Your social security is taxable. Is that true or false? Uh, that's it. It depends. Okay. Uh, so it could be, uh, it may not be. So a lot depends on your taxable income in retirement. And so the federal government likes to make the equation as, as complicated as possible and how to figure that out. Obviously with software, with tax planning software, you just plug in the numbers uh, from with your CPA or with an advisor who may have the tax planning software and you just plug in, you know, what your pensions are, what your IRA distributions are, you name it, and it'll come up with the calculation showing you what percentage of your social security is taxed or could be taxed. So when I say it depends, it depends. Uh, most of the retirees that we work with, 85% of the benefit is taxed at whatever their marginal rate is. Meaning if you're in the 22% tax bracket, 85% of your benefit is taxed at 22%. But I've had people come in before saying, I don't want to pay 85% in taxes on my social security benefit. I'm like, no, 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 it's not. That's not the rate. It's just what percentage of your social security is taxed. And it gotcha. all depends on this calculation called provisional income. So provisional income is a calculation where the social security administration takes half of your social security benefit any pension, any IRA uh, distributions, whatever your taxable income is, and adds that number up. And so if you're married finally jointly and you're over that $44,000 of taxable income, 
85% of your benefit is going to be taxed at whatever marginal tax rate you're in. So that may have sounded really confusing, but the, the moral of it is if you have a bunch of money in Roth IRAs and, and Roth 401ks, that's not taxable income when you take that out in retirement. So that does not show up on the IRS radar for taxable income. So another reason why to save in these tax-free buckets, because you keep more of your social security in retirement. But if you're over that $44,000 of taxable income threshold, then you're going to be taxed. So mo there's a lot of people that don't even know that it is possible to be taxed, uh, your social security to be taxed. Yeah. So it used to be zero, um, and so you can't you can't um, stand on political lines on this one because uh, Ronald Reagan was the first president to tax it at fifty percent of the benefit is taxed, and then Bill Clinton was the next one to do it and put it at eighty five. Could they tax a hundred percent of it uh, over a certain income threshold? Absolutely, I, I think they're going to do that one day. That's my humble opinion, uh, but that is a way to not tax everyone more. It's only taxing people who are over a certain threshold. So that was a long-winded answer to say it could be not taxable at all, but there is a very good chance that a portion of your Social Security benefit is going to be taxed. So yes, you paid into Social Security tax your whole life, and now you're going to pay, potentially, you're going to pay it again in retirement. Wonderful. Great news. <laughs> Thanks for that, Ryan. A great way to kick off today's podcast. <laughs> Glad to help. Uh, <laughs> all right. Ne next financial factor fiction. Let's stick with taxes. How about your taxes will likely be lower in retirement? Another one, it depends. More times than not, I've seen people be in the same tax bracket while they're working when they're in retirement. So the, the majority of people are in that 22 or 24% tax bracket married filing jointly. So in those income bands within those each marginal tax rate are relatively large. Uh, the 24 goes well into the 300,000s, but the uh, the 22 percent, the bottom end, is around a little over 80,000. Uh, obviously, those change every single year, so that's going to be dated material a year from now. But it changes, and, and obviously, with with a new president and, and new Congress, that that tax code is going to change uh, again. We don't know what that looks like. Uh, it's been tossed around of who may be taxed more, who may be taxed the same, but we don't know until that, that shakes out uh, and it goes through our, our process of our federal government. So uh, a lot of people think they're going to be in a lower tax bracket, and we've talked about this before on the show. When 401k started back in the late 70s, early 80s, yes, people were in much, much, much higher tax rates because the highest tax rate was around 80%. Obviously, they've come down since then, but the tax rates were still a good bit higher. Well, it was a very easy no-brainer to look at the tax code and go, yeah, I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket when I get to retirement because pensions were starting to go away. Uh, so people's main source of income is Social Security and whatever they save, 401k, Roth IRA, whatever it may be. And the more uh, retirement income planning we do for people, we start to see, okay, here's where we're at now. But when you do add potentially two social security incomes, whether that's husband, wife on their own benefit, or if it's a, a one in a spousal benefit, the benefit creeps up there uh, pretty good. I mean, you're talking, you know, 40, 50, sometimes 60, even 70 grand when you have two good social security benefits on, on uh, each year. Well, that is going to Social Security, again, is taxed a little bit differently than ordinary income is, but when you start 
tacking on maybe a small pension, which we see a lot of. We don't see these big, robust, full pensions anymore as much. I shouldn't say anymore as much as we used to. But then you tack on required minimum distributions that you have to take at 72. Any other distributions from taxable accounts, it starts to add up pretty quick. And then all of a sudden you look and see, wow, I'm in the 22% tax bracket. So more times than not, people are in the same. It occasionally, if you're if we're tax efficient and we plan ahead of time, uh, you can get into the 12% tax bracket, uh, especially with standard deductions now being so high. And if you do save money into a Roth, it can bring that income down. So what we're seeing is people are in the exact same. So getting all this pre-tax uh, deduction may not be as beneficial as people think from a long-term perspective. Well, definitely from these first two, it's important to uh, to point out that tax planning needs to be a part of the process. And this Absolutely. is the reason why, as you see, yep. two, two uh, potential tax uh, obligations in retirement for you there. All right. Third one on our list. Let's, let's sit on insurance for a second. Fact or fiction? Term life insurance is better than whole life insurance. I don't like the word better there. I like what's the best fit. Uh, so I'm going to dodge another fact or fiction question <laughs> <laughs> and say it does depend. Uh, most people, term life is what you need. It's cheap. Um, it's affordable. And if you can get it, obviously the downside is it's only for a certain term. And then it stops, then it falls off. Uh, now you can renew it, but if you've, if you've ever really dug into your life insurance policy, which most people probably don't, but if you look at it, there's some renewable rates after the term is over and you see these astronomically high premiums. Um, like if you have a 20 year term and you're 21, the premiums shoot up. Well, that's only if you elect to take that amount after a 20 year term, it just stops. But I've never come across it, but there's probably instances where, okay, maybe someone has a terminal illness and that premium went from, again, I'm making numbers up, $1,200 a year and it shoots up to $6,000 a year in year 21. Well, if you have a terminal illness and you got a death benefit of a million dollars, okay, it's probably going to benefit your family to pay that large premium, but they just it keeps going up each year after that. So, for the most part, it covers the catastrophic. That is why it's so cheap. And if you can get it and you get a good rating, I would get as much as you can get. Uh, and some people joke, oh, I gotta sleep with one eye open if I get too much life insurance. That's the dumbest excuse I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> um, one, you got more issues than I wanna deal with, but two, if your spouse has you off, then uh, they don't collect it anyways, because uh, <laughs> they're in jail. Uh, so get as much term as you can because like the purchasing power of, of life insurance is it continues to diminish. So a million dollar life insurance policy, it doesn't go as far as people think, especially when you pay a house off. And then if there's kids that still need to go to college and just living expenses, it goes in a hurry. And especially with inflation, uh, which is starting to creep up here, we'll see if it continues. But it's going to continue biting in or taking a chunk out of that purchasing power of life insurance. So there's where term is what most people need. Now, there, there is a fit for whole life insurance. Uh, it cannot be compared to an investment. I think li whole life insurance is oversold. Uh, I think it's overpromised uh, and a lot of times underdelivered. But if people know exactly what the purpose of it is, and it can be served many different purposes, but it is a lot more expensive but it can check a box for people who are trying to do certain things, whether it's funding a trust or whether it's 
creating a retirement income, which you can do, but it needs to be structured properly. Or if some people just want a guaranteed death benefit with no real cash value accumulation, then you can get that as well. So there's so many different types of whole life out there that I don't want to put them all in the same box. But from an affordability standpoint, term is usually the best way to go. But when it really comes to estate planning, a whole life policy can absolutely serve a purpose, and especially people who make really good income. It's another way to to save money. And um, if it's done properly and taken out efficiently, then you don't pay taxes either uh, when you pull it out. So it can serve a purpose, but I would say for most people, term is the way to go. Very good. Let's continue down our list of planning topics and let's head off to Medicare. So fact mm-hmm. or fiction, Medicare's going to cover most of your medical needs once you're in retirement. Yeah, that's... Depends on what you get. Um, we, we have a Medicare specialist in our office and, and, they, and they run with this. Uh, this is not my area of expertise, but I know enough to be dangerous because I've had to study for it for my exam. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a ton of different parts. Um, you know, there's Medicare supplement, there's Medicare Advantage, but there's different, you know, the alphabet soup, part A, part B, and you just keep going all the way down. And what does it actually look like? What does it cover? So it depends on what, what you elect. Obviously, the premiums are means tested. So it depends on your income as well and what kind of premiums you're going to make. But with technology and software now, you can sit down with people and, and, and really figure out what plan is best for them. You can take a look at prescriptions, what they do there. So it's not going to, I wouldn't say it's going to cover uh, most of it because health care and medical needs is a broad brush so mm-hmm. you start thinking about living expenses with nursing homes or assisted living. Medicare is not going to cover that. Uh, some people still believe that it's going to cover nursing home expenses. It, it covers like a small window during the first 20 days, I believe. Don't quote me on that number, but I think it's around 20 days that it may help with the cost of that. But nursing home care, that's on your own dime. And so outside insurances or uh, life insurance that have riders on there, uh, that basically you're spending your death benefit while you're alive on nursing home care. So going back to that previous question of whole life insurance, that's where that can be fill a void. I'm not going to say it's going to pay for all your nursing home care needs or assisted living needs one day, but it can definitely help. Uh, so it's it's not going to cover those expenses. So when it, that word most, I would not say it covers most, but if if you're a fairly healthy individual and you know, you go to your routine checkups. Yes, it's going to cover a, a, a lot of that stuff, but it does have limits on them. Uh, but especially the the nursing home and healthcare component of it, it's not going to cover uh, a lot of that when it comes to to your care one day. Yeah, it's just important to be aware that there could be other expenses that you need to be preparing for. And mm-hmm. uh, that's why we brought that one to your attention. All right. Absolutely. Final one, fact or fiction. As you get older, you should gradually shift from stocks to bonds. Hmm. That used to be the case when bonds were paying like 8%. Yeah. <laughs> what are they paying now? Uh, oh my gosh. Especially with inflation starting to maybe tick up. Yeah. Uh, long-term bonds get shredded uh, during times of inflation and when interest rates start going up. So that's the thing now. That's the, that's a little bit of the retirement quandary right now is, okay, the better historically rates of return are from the stock market versus the bond market. But you do take on more risk when you put your money in the stock market. But there's risk with bonds. Uh, I know some people are like, oh, there's treasuries and there's you know government-issued bonds. That's true. 
but they're still uh, they still have interest rate sensitivity uh, to them. So again, think of a seesaw. I mentioned that on here before. As interest rates start going up, those bond prices start going uh, down. Uh, so the the price itself can take a hit, um, especially again long term. Not to get too much in the weeds of that, but short term duration bonds, which don't pay as high of a yield, they're less interest rate sensitive than a thirty year. Uh, bond issued by the the federal government. Uh, they're much more interest rate sensitive. So shifting it too much and too quickly into bonds may not be the solution. But again, you're teetering on the, the risk factor of putting too much money into the stock market. So the old adage used to be, oh, 60-40 portfolio, 60% of the market, 40% bonds, you're good. That, that may not be the case anymore, but that's why it is a case by case basis, uh, because it does depend on income. When people get to retirement, it's not about nest egg anymore. It's about income. How much income do you have coming in from all your sources, whether it's pension, social security, investments, you name it, It's or an annuity, where does it come from? What's your needs on a monthly basis? So if you don't have to take on a ton of risk and you're okay with lower rates of return, okay, don't put as much money in the stock market. If you don't need to chase returns, don't chase them. Um, and, and so, but we, we, with retirees, we really try to formulate a portfolio that gets more consistent rate of returns more than average rate of return. Consistent rate of returns are what you want in retirement. Average rate of return is what you want when you're accumulation phase like you and I are, Ben. We want a higher rate of return. Sure, that's what we want. Um, Create that nest egg, but now when we have to tap into that nest egg, we want more consistency than we do um, of that that line graph going way up and way down. We don't don't want to see that graph um, do too much. We want steady. And that's what you want in retirement. And right now, that's tough to get out of bonds. Uh, so it's um, not necessarily true that you have to gradually shift to bonds. I think people shift the bonds too quickly. They think, oh, as soon as I retire, I got to shift over more to bonds. Well, you may retire when you're 60 years old and you may live until 95. That's 35 years your portfolio has got to spit out an income. If you get too conservative too quickly, then uh, that can be detrimental to your portfolio as well. Uh, so there, there's risk on both sides of the spectrum there, but it's not necessarily always true to, to shift uh, to bonds just because you're getting older. Well, all good information and all these things are part of the overall planning process. So you, know, you want to have a plan for each of these items, Social Security, life insurance, Medicare, um, investing, all these different things. And so you want to sit down with a, a financial professional to help you with that. If you want to reach out to Ryan, you can schedule your Retirement Coach 360 session online now. All you got to do is visit blackoakam.com and you can start working through some of these things as well. But while you're on there, all the podcasts are there and some other resources like your Retirement Rescue Toolkit or Retirement Calculator, all these things to kind of help you gauge where you stand. But truly to get a, a clear picture where you are, you want to sit down with Ryan and his team at Black Oak. All right, let's get to a mailbag question we got in uh, this week from Jimmy. He says, I've heard you talking about having an emergency fund, but I'm having trouble determining how much I should have in mind and where I should invest it. I'm also not exactly sure how to define an emergency so that I know when I can actually dip into it. What's your advice here? So being a Dave Ramsey guy, I can easily answer this question um, (laughs) because Dave reflects on emergency funds a lot. So emergency fund is exactly that. It is the catastrophic event, losing a job, whatever it may be, but it's not new tires or HVAC. That's not what it's meant to do. So that's why when I say an emergency, it is an absolute emergency. And Dave Ramsey talks about three to six months. So that, and that's of expenses. So it's not 
not income, but expenses. So it, I, it doesn't matter to me. That's more of a comfort number for people. So there's no hard, fast rule on how much needs to be in your uh, emergency fund. So, and, and then in the question, Jimmy, you, you even said invest it. You don't invest in an emergency fund. That needs to be boring. It needs to be a very small rate of return uh, because right now cash is not paying anything. So if you put it in a money market or putting it in a an oxymoron of a high yield savings account, <laughs> it's not going to produce anything, but that's okay. That's just what it, it is, what it is now. And so if you want to be on the higher end of the three to six month spectrum, that's fine, but it needs to be in something that you can click a button and that money shifts over to your account. Now, uh, a, a sinking fund. A sinking fund is different than an emergency fund. So a sinking fund is another liquid investment, but that's where I I think of more long-term. When I say long-term, it could be five years or more out, but you're saving for something. You're saving for a car down the road or house repairs or a new roof. Now that can be invested. To me, I think it can be invested because that's a longer time period. So an emergency has to be something catastrophic that boom, you can get to really quick. But life happening, again, car breaking down, house repairs, you name it. (laughs) Kids travel ball, (laughs) which I know all too much about. But stuff like that, that's not an emergency. So that can be in another investment account, whether that's an individual investment account or a joint account with you and your spouse. But that can be above and beyond where it's life happening that you're saving up for, that you know something's going to happen. You just don't know what or when. But that's what, I, that's what we refer to as a sinking fund. A lot of companies do that. But emergency is exactly that, an emergency. And don't invest it, Jimmy. We appreciate that question, Jimmy. And I think that's a good one, too. I think a lot of people probably wonder the same thing. How much and when can I actually dip into that emergency fund? So hopefully that helps you. Uh, but before you make any decisions on... Um, how to spend that money. You always want to sit down and get a second opinion if you can. Um, all right, let's finish out with a little getting to know you question for Ryan to, uh, to close out today's episode. And I know you've, uh, you've tried a lot of things in your, your life, Ryan. You've been very adventurous. Um, <laughs> but what's the one skill you would like to ma- actually master? I actually have two. I uh, don't have one, but I have two. Okay, because th- this side of my brain is not developed at all. So I am not artistic at all. Uh, my handwriting is terrible. Uh, my sister got that side of her brain developed. I got the math and, and nerdy side, but she got the artistic drawing ability. She's an interior designer. So, but I can't draw anything. I would love just to be able to sit down and like sketch something out and it actually look like something. Um, <laughs> I've just, I've always wanted to do that again, handwriting. I like admire people that have good handwriting. So that is, that is one skill. And I think handwriting, I probably, if I could, if I worked at it, uh, that's, that's with anything you work at it. Drawing, no, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's just no not chance, in cards right? and I don't, yeah, no chance whatsoever. So that's one thing. And this, it's another artistic side. I wish I was musically inclined, uh, whether that's singing, playing guitar, playing the drum, the drums, I think I could be good at. I've never gone down that path before, but maybe I will. So that's another kind of, artistic side. Uh, I guess it's probably the same side of your brain uh, that has never been developed. So I wish I could do something music and then be able to to draw. And, and those things are way off my radar. I can't do. <laughs> <laughs> Is it possible to master like a, a skill like that, that you just don't have any talent in? I always wondered that. Like if I have no talent for playing a guitar, can I actually, can I put enough hours in to actually master that? Right. 
That's a great question. Master, I don't know, but maybe get pretty good at, yeah. possibly. Because I, I, I relate a lot of that stuff to sports too. Because I, I mentioned this before, like Major League Baseball players are born. Right. I, I yeah, truly believe exactly. that. Um, they can continue to get better and craft their skill. And that doesn't mean other players uh, can't work their tails off and to be in the big leagues. But these freaks of nature like Ronald Acuna that you see, I mean, that he was born with gifts and he just figured out how to um, exploit them. And he's, he's just a freak of nature. You cannot teach a person to be like him. You cannot work enough. If you don't have the ability, you cannot work enough to have the ability that he, he does. So um, I think things can be worked on and developed and crafted, obviously, but being a master and being elite, mm-hmm. uh, I think that would be very, very, very difficult to do. Yeah, I can't master 90-mile-an-hour fastball if I don't have it. No, <laughs> if you don't have it, you just, you'll just you never be able to do it. <laughs> exactly. Some things are just out of our reach, but you yep. can work towards them and get good. You can get you know, at least capable. Well, that's, right. that's good stuff to know, and uh, hopefully this episode's been helpful for you. Some financial factor fiction. We'll close it out there. Uh, We will have another episode in a couple of weeks, so make sure you subscribe or follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, Spotify. We're on all the major platforms, and uh, make sure you visit blackoakam.com. Schedule your Retirement Coach 360 session online there, plus a lot of other great resources as well. Ryan, thanks for the time today, man. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. The Perfect Game Retirement Podcast is brought to you by Black Oak Asset Management, serving the greater Atlanta area with offices in Alpharetta, Cartersville, and Macon. The show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show on your favorite app today and never miss an episode. Just search for Perfect Game Retirement to find us. You can also visit blackoakam.com to listen to past episodes, to contact Ryan Ledden, and to learn more about how to pitch a perfect game in retirement. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Please consult with a qualified professional before taking any action. Securities and registered investment advisory services offered through Silver Oak Securities, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Black Oak Asset Management and Silver Oak Securities, Inc. are not affiliated.